0: Championship team. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.TV. It's baseball everywhere.
1: Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Anthony Cachris, and this is our latest Tigers chat. We are joined by Jason Beck. And Beck, uh, you know, I hesitate to say this. We're uh, recording this on Tuesday. I hesitate to say this a day after they just blew a seven-run lead. But the Tigers are 17-10, and 10, dating back to uh, mid to late May. So, uh, I don't know. Are we starting to get some semblance of traction here? It's obviously been an erratic season to this point.
2: Uh, I mean, we'll see. They have an interesting stretch of schedule coming up here. You know, with, uh, Obviously, they're, they're in Chicago where they blew the seven-run lead, and then they go on there to KC for what's going to be a, a pretty crucial four-game set for them against the Royals. And uh, that they, they could really kind of – put a little bit of definition into the uh, AL Central race heading into midseason and kind of heading into the evaluation portion where where teams start to decide whether they're buyers or sellers. I think they have a, a stretch coming up, too, where the, uh, the Indians come to Detroit and then they go to Cleveland right around the 4th of July, I believe.
1: That is correct. Uh, I don't know if Michael Fulmer's uh, scoreless inning streak will, will last until the 4th of July, but, geez, it's uh, it, it's pretty much on a roll right now, uh, 28 and one-third straight innings. Fulmer has now made four consecutive scoreless starts of at least six innings with three or fewer hits allowed. Uh, joining Jake Arrieta as the only pitchers to do that since the mound was moved to 60 feet 6 inches back in 1893. So this is pretty uh pretty amazing stuff back from, from Mr. Fulmer. We talked about it, it seems like, every week here lately and, uh, you know, the application of that changeup and, and, and how that's that's become such a weapon for him. But, um, I mean, this is historic stuff we're, we're seeing now.
2: Yeah, and it should be interesting to see how it goes going forward. Um, you know, he'll, he'll get a nice test in Kansas City. I know it's not quite the same Royals offense that uh, would – kind of run up pitch counts on, on young hurlers, but uh, there's still enough talent there where I think they could you know, provide a pretty good test for him and his ability to pound the strike zone without giving up too much solid contact. And that's the thing with him right now is that especially the way things came together on Sunday in New York, he doesn't have to necessarily be throwing up to top velocities to, to get out. And that's, that's a pretty big learning curve for for a guy to make at that early stage of his career.
1: You know, is going so good, it almost overshadows, uh, from a national perspective, at least uh, much talk about Justin Verlander and just how good he's been uh, this last month plus. His last seven starts, he's got a 1.93 ERA. He's got a 168 average against. He's got a 480 OPS against. Uh, 57 strikeouts against 11 walks in 51 and one-third innings. I mean, this is – you know, he doesn't have the vintage Verlander stuff necessarily, but he certainly seems to have figured out how to get vintage Verlander-type numbers.
2: Yeah, it seems like this is kind of the Verlander 2.0 I think a lot of people were were talking about. I know we've mentioned that in the past, including on the stretch last year, but it seems like, especially with that slider-cutter combination – even though it, it's still kind of a sign of a it, – it's the same pitch. It's an inconsistent slider that acts like a cutter when, when he elevates it. But it seems to be throwing some hitters off, and it, at the very least it changes the eye level on some guys. I think the more effective pitch right now is a tighter curveball. I know we've mentioned that on numerous occasions. It, uh, you know, the better he throws it, the tighter it is, and, and the uh, better he locates it, the tougher it is on hitters.
1: Uh, you know, Ian Kinsler is another guy who I think gets somewhat overlooked uh, from a national perspective. In the month of June, he's hitting three twenty seven with a five seventy one slug, uh, 16 RBIs in 12 games, six extra base hits, homers in three straight games as we record this. But, you know, I, I just think that uh, we're probably one of the more underrated players in baseball, really, because we're talking about a guy who's actually compiling an interesting Hall of Fame case at this point in his career. Um, not getting much traction on the All-Star ballot, as we saw with the release of the latest results here today. Uh, you know, lagging far behind uh, Jose Altuve, but it's just a, a special player having another special season. But
2: well, if you go to buy the All-Star results, he's you no know, Omar Infante either, I guess. But um, <laughs> but no, it's I, I think he just seems to defy defy age right now. He, he's at that stage of his career, or he's just entering that stage where A lot of second basemen (coughs) would be on the decline, and at the very least he'd be looking at potential new positions for him. But he still handles the spot very well defensively. I think that the advanced metrics bear it out. He's really one of those uh, few Tigers at this point that consistently gets favorable ratings on defensive metrics. And part of it's because he knows how to position himself. Part of it's because he knows the hitter so well after all these years. And then hitting-wise, I, I think he's really kind of you know, the the prototypical leadoff hitter for this lineup. Uh, he, he can be aggressive. He runs the bases well. He doesn't have to steal a ton of bases given the guys behind him. But he knows how to put himself in a position to get a lot of runs out of hits. And uh, I think when, when you look at what makes this Tigers offense go, I think too often, this guy gets over the
1: I agree. I agree. Um, Victor Martinez, uh, it, it's hard to overlook what's going on. Anytime there's anything related to the knee with Vic, uh, you, you feel a little uh, uneasy. He's got right knee soreness right now. Thankfully, MRI revealed no structural damage. Um, so this one doesn't appear overly serious, but the Tigers are taking extra caution.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, given how big of a role the knees played in, in his decline at the plate last year I think it's something you, you have to at least on the surface be wary about and kind of watch how it goes along he's still playing a very tough at bats and he still seems to be hitting for some pretty good punch there especially for somebody's age but it's something where I, I think you have to be at least a little bit concerned about it over the long term and it might be something that warrants giving him the day out of the lineup here and there but once he does come back um, maybe it gives you an excuse to put uh, Miguel Cabrera at DH and, and maybe get somebody else in at uh, first base, whether it's Andrew Romine or Michael Dulles or somebody else.
1: Uh, last thing back, let's wrap up the draft. Uh, you were all over that for MLB.com, for Tigers.com. Uh, 18 of the Tigers' first 31 selections were pitchers. And it's notable that uh, 17 of those 18 were college pitchers, but their first overall pick was a high school pitcher. Uh, Matt Manning, six foot six, uh, just a big dude with a big fastball. What can you tell me about the Tigers' draft takeaway?
2: Well, I think it shows that even with the, the change up top in general manager, it's still the same, uh, you know, scouting department, and it's still kind of the same mo for these guys as far as you know, what the value is in the draft. I think they've looked for a lot of pitching. They've looked to restock some arms there. But I think this is also an organization that's looking to draft and develop these guys more as opposed to to just develop and maybe have trade chips down the road. I think, uh, you know, Manning's going to be an interesting guy to watch. He's going to be a little bit of a project that would anticipate, given that he's only been pitching for a few years. The potential there, I think, is enormous. I think it's equally intriguing for me. to Watch will be um, their their second pick, which is actually their fourth-round pick, since they missed out on a couple spots. Um, the Louisville kid Kyle Funkhauser. Here's a guy who is projected to be a first-round talent last year and ended up going to the end of the first round and went back to school. Had a very up-and-down year, uh, and I think it kind of reflected in his availability on day two. He's not the type of guy that the Tigers usually go after in that respect. They don't usually take a lot of chances on guys like that that fall. Uh, But there was something they liked in him. I think beyond just the velocity, I think they saw some upside to him with the way he performed down the stretch. Guys like that are going to be intriguing to watch. And they also drafted a couple of college closers. Uh, They drafted the uh, Garcia, kid, who's been closing in Miami for three years. The draft the Texas A&M closer. I think we got a couple of smaller school uh, leading relievers as well. And that's something that you know, every few years we've seen them kind of go this route to, to try to look at arms that they can project as bullpen-type arms. Maybe they don't fit as starters but guys who might be able to plug into leading roles and might be able to get some upside out of them, uh, you know, maybe even uh, some major projections. It'll be interesting to follow some of these guys in the next couple
1: of years. All right, great analysis, as always, from Jason Beck. I want to thank him for joining us, and thank you all for tuning in. This has been MLB.com Extras, Detroit Tigers edition.